It's another episode of Saddest Night Out, and to help me break yet another drought of not recording, I'm going to talk about three things that I've come across in literally the last five minutes. First up, uh, well, I don't think about which order to talk about these three things. So let's start with the 1975, a familiar topic. So I just came across a post about the 1975 on Reddit, which is as follows. I don't use TikTok, but why are the Twitter fans getting defensive about the band blowing up on there? And the first response, word for word, is this. Because of what's been happening with other artists that have blown up on Twitter, harder to get tickets and merch, people going to shows only knowing the chorus or bridge that's on a million TikTok videos and no other songs. Not saying you have to know every word to every song, I certainly don't. Also, because the TikTokers have been super weird about Matty's addiction, basically infantilizing him instead of treating him like an adult with free will. There's a big difference from the way that fans interact with Matty on Twitter compared to TikTok too. On Twitter, fans have a more sarcastic and joking relationship, whereas on TikTok, it's way more uwu. That's, this is just what I've observed as a casual fan. Now, there's a lot of meat on that bone. That it speaks volumes about the TikTok effect on music. You might have heard some stories about Steve Lacey, who I think before Taylor Swift's album came out, he was number one in America, which was a first for him. He's been around a while, but that was a huge leap in his popularity, owed largely to TikTok. And there be, there have been videos of him at his shows performing that song asking the audience, to, the part that went viral is in the chorus, he asks his audiences to sing the second verse, the room goes silent. And people have bemoaned what TikTok can do to artists. Yes, it can get you more popular. Yes, it can get you more sales and more streams. But in a weird sense, at what cost? So there's that argument being made against the TikTok fans, I say in quotes, of the 1975. The idea that the shows, the tickets to shows will now be bought up by people who aren't real fans, I guess. I have never, I don't know if such a tribalization of a fandom has really existed. T TikTok fans versus Twitter fans. This is the modern age we are living in. But the thing that really was revealing to me is towards the end of that post I just shared, where the person says there's a big difference from the way that fans interact with Matty on Twitter compared to TikTok too. On Twitter, fans have a more sarcastic and joking relationship, whereas on TikTok, it's way more uwu. Uwu is spelled U-W-U. -U. That word should leap out as a foreign language. What on earth does that mean? And yet for me, it makes perfect sense. I don't know what that says about me. I don't know what that says about what's happening to language. If you're hearing this, tell you let me know. Does that term make sense to you in the context of all that's being said? Does that term make sense? Or are you scratching your head going, ooh, what on earth is that? That's the first thing I just stumbled upon. The second thing, let's go with Kelly Rowland. Kelly Rowland, of course, was one of the original members of Destiny's Child. She's popped up in pop culture. It feels, it feels weird to say she's popped up in news, but I guess essentially that's what it is. 
She's popped up twice in, I think, the last week. The first reason was because she was being interviewed on, I think, a radio show or a podcast or something. And the person interviewing her brings up her past on Destiny's Child. Specifically, what was it like, essentially, what was it like to be number two to Beyonce? Because she's such a bright burning light and she went on to have the solo career. What was it like to be in close proximity to that? At a glance, bit of a rude question. Kelly Rowland is very much a successful artist in her own right. There's plenty to talk about regarding just her instead of talking about her in her adjacency to Beyonce. But Kelly Rowland handles it with class. She essentially says she believes that light attracts light. Just because she is close to Beyonce's light doesn't mean that her own light is in any way dimmed. And in just a classy answer from the one and only Kelly Rowland. That's the first reason she came up in pop culture. Everyone very much took her side and bemoaned and derided the interviewer for asking her that and just wondering how many times people have brought that up across the course of her career. The second reason that she's in the news right now, and this one's more recent, is that she presented an award, I think for Best R&B Artist, at the American Music Awards, which I think happened last night. She presented that award. The winner was Chris Brown. Side note, Chris Brown was apparently meant to do a tribute to Michael Jackson at the awards show, but the runners of the show cancelled it, and there's some footage of Chris Brown rehearsing for it. Just another thing. So he wasn't at the ceremony. So Kelly Rowland's gone up there. She's announced the nominees. She says the winner is Chris Brown, and some members of the audience boo, noticeably boo, at the at the revelation that the winner is Chris Brown. Now, Chris Brown isn't there. So as tends to happen, the person announcing the award has to give the acceptance speech. So she starts giving the speech and she kind of holds her finger up to the crowd and says, hold on now, or something like that. Essentially, again, classily, politely, shushes the crowd from booing and says congratulations to Chris Brown. Thank you for being a great artist. I'll bring this award to you. Well done and well done to all the nominees. Again, just classy through and through and through. Two awkward situations handled by a complete pro. The third and final thing I'll bring up, which has just come across, is that there is a leaked or allegedly leaked image of the lineup for next year's Reading and Leeds Festival. So there's a speculation on who will be headlining next year. Now, when it comes to Reading and Leeds, I don't know how many of you listening to this are familiar with the festival, but first of all, whoever plays Reading on Friday will then play Leeds on Saturday. So it's a travelling three-day festival. Reading is more South Midlands-ish of England. Leeds is more North of England. And previously, in past years, like before the pandemic, I'd say, Reading and Leeds Festival was very much like most other festivals in that you had multiple stages. Each stage had a headliner. Typically, those headliners would clash and other acts along the way would clash as well. What Reading and Leeds seems to lean towards now is having two main stages. 
One is called Main Stage West, the other is Main Stage East. And what happens is, an act will play Main Stage East. And when that act is done, while that stage is being turned over for the next artist, an act will play in Main Stage East. Wait, so the first stage is Main Stage East. Actor plays Main Stage East. When that act is done, while Main Stage East is being turned over for the next artist, an act plays in Main Stage West. And then when the Main Stage West artist is done, another artist starts in East. So it's a back and forth, so that, in theory, you wouldn't just stay at one stage and watch them change the stage for the next artist. You'd run back and forth from stage to stage because there'd always be someone to see and there'd be less instances of artists clashing with each other. In theory, you could just go back and forth and see all the artists that you want to see. So each day of the festival, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, in theory has two headliners. One that headlines Main Stage East, one that headlines Main Stage West. With that being said, the proposed headliners of next year's festival, this might just be a rumour, this might end up being the, the real thing, time will tell. But right now, the headliners for Friday in Reading anyway would be Muse and Harry Styles. We are coming out swinging, straight out of the gate. Muse and Harry Styles to headline Friday. The headliners for Saturday, Dua Lipa and My Chemical Romance. We're not playing around here. And on that theme, the headliners for Sunday, The Weekend, and Florence and the Machine. If this ends up being true, there is some serious budget being spent for this lineup. <laughs> I actually consider getting a ticket, and I haven't been in 10 years. Over 10 years, I haven't been to a Reading Festival. Considering I once went five years in a row. That's life. Life comes at you fast. But if this is the lineup, I mean, I did it like to play the festival, but man. And also, there's the thing about ticket prices. I have a disturbing dread that there might be a serious hit to live music. Not only in the UK and the mess we're going through with Brexit and red tape and so on. Never mind just how or how many artists are cancelling tours for various reasons, whether it's the economics or mental health or COVID. I think this constant increase in prices can only go so far. We've seen it across the board in all markets. Remember how, think about how much PlayStations used to cost and how much they cost now. Think about how much iPhones used to cost. I remember it being a big deal that iPhones would cost more than a thousand. Now that's the standard. Look at how much fuel costs. Festival prices just keep going up and up. I can't pinpoint a particular reason why. Maybe acts are demanding more money because there's more costs involved, things are more expensive. Maybe there's greed involved and it's just trying to get more money, more profit out of the festival goer. There's already been a shift in the clientele of festivals. So if you look at the festivals in the 90s, especially things like Glastonbury, when Glastonbury was known for being a really wet and muddy festival, it was largely populated by people that would call themselves quote-unquote real music fans, the hardcore, who would pride themselves in spending a weekend in the mud to see real music played live. 
now <laughs> global warming, I guess, and just how ridiculously good the weather tends to get across festival season in the UK. It can feel a bit more like a holiday destination. Reading and Leeds definitely felt more like a thing, like a holiday destination for students. Regardless of who's playing, you and your mates will all head down, all camp together, and just go wild for three nights. I think there's got to be some kind of limit, and we'll find out one way or another what that limit is, on how much you can price tickets at. Ticket prices are very much at the front of everyone's mind right now, because of Taylor Swift, and her tickets, tickets for her tour selling out faster than planned, to the point where they cancelled the general sale. They just had the early access sales for people that are verified fans or use a certain credit card. And now there are tickets available on resale websites for $10,000, $20,000, a year's salary for a Taylor Swift ticket. That's what someone out there is thinking they can get. (laughs) What, since they were lucky enough to get a Taylor Swift ticket? But there's only so far fans can be squeezed. And I think the tide is due to turn. The vibe is due to shift. Or maybe I'm just being uwu. And that's what we call bringing things full circle. I've been Roy. This has been the Saddest Night Out podcast. I'll catch you on the next one. Take care.